Hello, my fellow seasoned athletes, and welcome to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Leggett. The Seasoned Athlete Podcast is your home for stories, inspiration, motivation, training tips, and more directly from elite athletes from a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age doesn't have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. You can learn more about this podcast at seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, share with everyone you know, and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode nine of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to a mom who found her sport of choice through taking her son to his practices. I really love this story. It's so cool. We're going to be talking to speed skater Melissa Koenig. But first, let's meet this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. Our Everyday Seasoned Athletes are people who are over 40 years old and represent a wide range of backgrounds, experience, and skill levels. They are telling their stories in their own words, and hopefully you'll find something in there that will inspire you to get out and get active. Today's Everyday Seasoned Athlete is a mom who found her athletic side and is now sharing her passion with her daughters. But this is her own story. Meet roller derby skater Barbara Sazima. Hi, I am Barbara Sazima. I'm 45 years old and I play bank track roller derby. When I was 38, I had my second daughter and I had had gestational diabetes with that pregnancy. And that experience had pushed me to become fit for the first time in my adult life. Roller derby made me an athlete. I started playing the summer I turned 40. Uh, I was almost a dare. I'd gone to see uh, the Los Angeles Derby Dolls Riots play Rat City Rollers, which was the first time I had ever seen roller derby. And it was amazing. It was hard hitting. It was fast. It was female. Uh, it was aggressive. And it, they looked like gladiators. They looked like gods. Uh, and I turned to my friend and I said, that looks so much fun and so hard really, I would, I just want to get on that track once. I'd love to get on that track once and just skate around on it. And she said, uh, you know, they have classes that anybody can take. Oh, really? So I looked it up, I signed up and then I went and took my first class and was immediately hooked. I went out the next day and bought all my own gear and started skating around the streets at five o'clock in the morning, which I don't advise to try to to learn these skills. At first, what the dolls did seemed impossible. There's no way I could do that. I'm not an athlete. I'm not this. I'm not that. So I thought, well, I, I just want to get through this eight-week program. And then I did that. Well, I just want to have a good tryout and make fresh meat, which is the first tier of training. And then I made fresh meat. And then, oh, well, I'm going to stay in fresh meat just long enough to earn a derby name and play in my first baby doll brawl, which is the fresh meat game. And I did earn my derby name. It's Sweet Home Alabama. People call me Sweetie. It's highly entertaining. And then after that baby doll brawl, I was like, well, maybe I can make sub pool. Maybe, maybe I can make that, which is the next level from which you get drafted to a team. And then I made sub pool. And then I'm in sub pool and it's really hard, but I really, I really wanted to make a team. So if I could just can I, can I just get drafted? And then I got drafted. And then 
and became co-captain of my team a couple years later. And now I really want to make riots at the all-star team. So I've gone from not thinking I could do any of it to thinking I can be on the all-star team. And that blows me away when I sit and think about it. Roller derby provides me with challenge and community. Every skill, every strategy that I master in roller derby is hard won. Every time I accomplish something, the sense of accomplishment is so real and so deep. I cannot convince myself it's easy. It's just not. And then whenever I travel for more than a week, I take my gear and I skate in Belfast. I've skated in Dublin. I've skated in small town Wisconsin. I've skated in Alabama. And it's so great to be welcomed into that community every single time. Um, I can't think of anything else that gives you that worldwide community. To become a seasoned athlete, you have to start. You have to listen to the people who know and try things that you don't think you can do and lift weights for real. My name is Barbara Sazama and I am a seasoned athlete. If you're over age 40 and participate in a sport at any level, go to seasonedathlete.me slash everyday to find out how you can be featured as an everyday seasoned athlete in an upcoming episode. And now let's meet our featured guest, speed skater, Melissa Koenig. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Robin. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Absolutely. I love it. So, Melissa, you are a lifelong athlete who thought you had left the world of organized sports behind when you started a career in family. But... When you began watching your son at a speed skating practice, you discovered a new athletic challenge that you wanted to take on. You started speed skating at age 37 and have since skated in multiple national championships and you even hold a national record. And perhaps the best part of all this is that you get to bond with your son who was six years old when you both started speed skating and is now 20. Is there anything vital personally, professionally, or from your athletic life that you'd like to take a moment to fill in? Um, no, I mean, I think that that really covers it. You know, this was not something I ever expected to be doing, certainly at my age um, or ever, but it's been a, a really nice thing to do. It's been a nice part of my life and sort of a surprise. So that that's a really cool thing. You know, some of the best things in life come at a surprise, right? You don't expect to do that. They sure do. Right. So from here, I'm going to ask the big question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? Sure. So this moment in time, I'm 49, but I will be 50 this year. So, uh, you know, that's given me some time to reflect on things that uh, I like to do and things that I don't like to do. So uh, that's definitely something that's been on my mind as I turn 50 this year. It is a milestone age, so it's a, it's a good time to reflect and look back. And, and hopefully the sport that we're talking about is something that you do like to do. But then again, you know, we only should do things as long as we want to, right? That's correct, yeah. So let's go back in time a little bit. Let's start at the beginning. When did you start playing sports and what did your early athletic life look like? Sure. So, I mean, I was always athletic when I was a kid, probably like a lot of other women out there my age. There wasn't a lot of organized sports that were available to girls cheerleading, which I was not good at, uh, dance, which I was also not good at, gymnastics. Uh, I liked the boys' events more than I liked the girls' events. But even then, I lived in a small town, so a lot of those things weren't available. The first organized thing that I did, I actually did synchronized swimming because I was too young to be on the swim team. And uh, my best memory from that was that every year they did a uh, uh, a show 
uh, to music, much like they do for figure skating classes and such. And I was a good fairy, and I did swim in a tutu, and I was nine maybe or ten, and they threw me in the deep end of the pool with a tutu on, and I sank to the bottom like a stone. Oh, gosh. I, I swam back up. It was okay. And I figured out how to do it. It took some of the tool out. It wasn't uh, so much of an anchor. And then uh, I did end up uh, swimming uh, competitively for a number of years. Uh, once I was in high school, I played field hockey as well. I was a midfielder, played a number of years uh, softball. I was horrible at it. I awful hand-eye coordination and usually jammed a finger or got a ball in the face. And uh, so I, the, my big sport when I was in high school, though, was swimming. Um, really thought I was going to be a, an Olympic swimmer. Um, <laughs> and then uh, ended up going to college, uh, swam at Kenyon College, which is a Division three uh, college, um, and played field hockey for them as well. And ended up having a career-ending injury. Um, I had to have knee surgery in my sophomore year. And um, my junior year, I tried to come back. And the, I was given the option of swimming now or swimming then and or walking when I was 30. And I chose walking when I was 30, which was not the easiest choice at the time, um, but was definitely the right choice. And then, you know, kind of did athletics, but nothing organized, you know, ran some cycles cycled some, didn't do anything really organized until I started speed skating when I was in my 30s. And let's go to some detail about how you found your way into speed skating in your 30s. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. So my son, I, I thought, you know, ice skating was something that I had done as a kid, although I'd never had any formal uh, training. Um, you know, I learned on a duck pond. Uh, my grandfather brought a chair out and that's how I learned. Um, and I always only ever skated on a natural ice, not on any man-made ice. But we lived in a town with an ice rink, and my son was three. And I thought, oh, I'll take him to open ice. And so we didn't have a second car, so I put him in a backpack and put him on my back and walked the two miles to the rink and spent an hour holding him up and then put him in a backpack and walked two miles back and thought, yeah, this isn't going to happen again. Put him in lessons, and uh, he started as a figure skater. When he was five, he said, I want to do speed skating. We have no idea how he came up with that. He had never seen it. The only time you ever see the sport is during an Olympics, and there hadn't been an Olympics. And I think he just understood. He put the words together. He liked to go fast, and he liked skating. And so he just put the words together. I mean, that's it's logical. I, I get the logic it's of logical. that. I kind of ignored him because I thought, well, there's nothing at the rink in my town. Where do you even go to do that? That seems weird. Um, and he asked again when he was six. So did an internet search, found a club near us and uh, took him and he loved it. And then about six months after uh, he started, I had been sitting in the stand talking to the other moms. And, you know, it, it was something that, I mean, I had skated as a kid. It seemed like it would be fun and it was exercise. It looked like it was good exercise. And I wasn't you know, I would had it was a mom of a working mom of a young kid. Like, when am I going to make time for exercise unless it's when my kid is doing something? Um, so I, I talked my way into the club, uh, the club that we were with at the time. The coach didn't want adults to participate. Um, he thought they were dangerous or something. I'm not quite sure what his reasoning was, uh, but I 
argued that I was the same size or smaller than the other children. I'm not a very tall person. <laughs> um, and uh, when I put a helmet on, you couldn't tell the difference between me and the 13-year-old boys. So, um, you know, kind of blended in and, and the rest, as they say, is history. I think there's a lot of moms that could relate to this situation and you know moms take their kids to sports practice they watch their kids at sports practice and they often lament about not having time for their own workout and so it's such an interesting thing that happened with you that you watched your son at this practice and said well why don't I just do that then well and I think that's one of the things there's there's very few sports when you think about it that allow for multi-generational groups to be on the ice or be in the activity at the same time. So running is another one. I'm a horrible runner, but you know, that's another one that I see a lot of times parents and kids sharing the event. You certainly wouldn't, you know, at a soccer game or a baseball game or something like that, you, you wouldn't see that, that sort of interaction. I think that's one of the really unique things about the sport is that it's so multi-generational. Yeah. And one of the, the cool things when, the first time I ever did a master's only meet, so a meet just with adults, there was a, a woman that I met there whose dad was also competing. So she was, you know, my age, and so she was in her 30s, and her dad was in, her, in his 60s. And I came home and I told my son that story, and, and he said, well, Mom, that's so cool. When I grow up, you're going to skate, I'm going to skate, and my kids are going to skate. And so he saw that, you know, he was six or seven at the time, that idea of, you know, having like a whole family involved and he, and he liked that idea. That's such a great thing to instill in him in such a young age and have him adopt that. I think that's so incredibly cool. So let's talk about the sport of speed skating itself, because people listening may not fully understand what that sport means, what it entails. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about what what is speed skating? Sure. There's um, a couple of different disciplines for speed skating. And again, most people will only ever see it during the Olympics. So there's short track speed skating, which is done on a Olympic size hockey rink. Um, it can practices can are often held on an NHL sized hockey rink. So the difference between them is the width of the rink. An NHL rink is 85 feet wide, um, whereas an Olympic size rink is 100 feet wide. Both are 200 feet long. The most recognized names in short track would be Apollo Ono. Catherine Reuter is another more recent Olympian um, in short track. And short track is done in what we would call a pack style. So it's depending on the distance, anywhere from four to six athletes on the line at a time. And uh, you'll race, the distances are 500 meters, 1,000 meters, and 1,500 meters. And whoever crosses the line first wins. The other discipline is long track. Um, long track, Olympic style long track is done in what are called metric pairs. So Eric Hyden would be uh, a name that many people would recognize with regard to that, or Dan Jansen or Bonnie Blair, um, and more recently, uh, Shawnee Davis, who's from Chicago. And it's two skaters at a time, and you're racing on a 400-meter oval, so the size of a running track. And in that case, you could be the first pair or the last pair, it doesn't matter. It's all time. So it's as fast as you can go, you're racing against the clock. You have a pair that you're racing with. In theory, you are close in time, so you push each other since the seeding for those is based off of time. Um, and then there's this weird third 
discipline that's kind of a mishmash between them that's only done regionally in age group type competitions and that long track so on the big oval but in a pack so anywhere between five to eight skaters on the line at the time so and I currently competing all of those <laughs> oh I love that is there a style you prefer I prefer short track and pack uh, style long track I like the adrenaline rush of the group I do not like the metric long track as much uh, it doesn't suit my personality as well I don't think and part of it too is it's just very difficult there's there's very few places to practice the long track you kind of need practice on the big oval um, the closest one to us is we're in in uh, outside Chicago is in Milwaukee so it's an hour and 45 minute drive away so what is it about speed skating that made you fall in love with the sport in the first place particularly at age 37 when you likely thought you were long done with competition <laughs> you know I it's a community for sure um, I'm definitely somebody that needs a group to motivate me to to exercise uh, I need that camaraderie and also the accountability my sofa is really comfortable and so you come home from a long day and it's really easy to sit on the sofa and watch a movie or read a book or whatever versus to say I'm going to go to the gym or you know go for a run or whatever it might be uh, so the community um, and definitely also just the idea that I mean certainly I hooked into it because I was already there I was committed because of my son and then you know, doing it with him was also, uh, I think, something that kind of was the hook at the beginning, for sure. Now, I think, you know, if he were to stop doing it, I still would, um, because I invested into the community and the friends that I've made and the, the teammates that I have. And, you know, it, there's days that you... You don't really want to practice, but you want to go to practice because that's where all your friends are. I, I relate to this story really well. I played roller derby for a number of years, so I am also a skater. And I was never one who worked out. And so I started at age 29. Actually, I was age 28, almost 29 when I started. And it was the community that drew me in as well and kept me kept me going in the sport because it's the accountability it's the friendships it's the the way that the community can change your mood where like you said when you don't feel like going to practice but usually when you leave practice you are glad you went absolutely and it keeps you sane right like that's the other thing i think like there's those days that you figure like you would just, you know, you're just in a bad mood and then you go to practice and like you're not in a bad mood anymore. Yeah, there is absolutely something to that. And I think that's something that people listening might be able to relate to those who have trouble with accountability with working out, those who feel that their couch is incredibly comfortable. This is a real thing when you find this in sport and you may not realize you may not consider yourself an athlete, but when you find this thing that you connect to and the people that you connect to within it, you can find that you are actually an athlete at any age. It's it's a thing that I've experienced, a thing that you've experienced, and the people that I've talked to in this podcast, I'm hearing these stories over and over again. So it's a real thing. And I think the other really, the, the other thing, and I've actually encouraged other parents, not just moms, but the other thing that as a, um, as a, parent of a child athlete that I think was super important um, in doing it myself and why I've encouraged other people to do it is that 
you are way less hard on your child because you know what it takes. So um, I've encouraged, in fact, I have three or four moms, I think, that are going to take our intro class this summer. Um, And I don't know if any of them will ever, you know, stick and continue to do it and skate. But I think for all of them, it's going to be an experience that helps them be better parents because, you know, it's so easy when you've not done it yourself to say, why didn't you do that? And one of the interesting things that I've in, actually took a team, I was a coach and the team leader for a group of uh, college-age skaters who participated in the World University Games in Kazakhstan this past February. And one of the girls that was on the trip said to me, she said, I know we were talking about the 1500, which is just a brutal race in, the, in metric uh, pairs. And, you know, I said I was watching them and they all kind of hit the wall at the same time. And you could see that they were sort of skating in molasses. And, you know, I knew what, you know, we were talking about what that feels like. And she said to me, she turned to me, she said, man, I wish my mom skated. So she would stop saying, what happened? Why didn't you skate faster? So, you know, it gives you that perspective where it doesn't mean you still aren't hard on your kids, but I think you do it with a, a degree of empathy and like you've come from the same place where you're like, oh yeah, I've been there. So it's making better sports parents is what you're saying. Absolutely. And the world needs more positive sports parents. For sure. The parents that we have that have done it, you know, I do think they have said that to me like, oh, I now understand how hard it is to stay in a low position for more than two seconds at a time. Don't I know it. (laughs) So tell me about the first time you competed in a national championship. So um, the first time I competed in a national championship was in tactile long track. It was in Roseville, Minnesota, which is an outdoor oval. Um, it was also happened to be my son's first national championship. My husband came to that meet. He doesn't come to most of them. He doesn't like cold weather. <laughs> um, he prefers to do marathons in warm places in the winter. And uh, we woke up the more, first morning of the competition and uh, we turned on the weather channel. And uh, Minnesota, through Roseville, Minneapolis, was the pick city on the Weather Channel for the worst weather in the country. Well, how (laughs) about that? Snowing sideways. And I think about minus 20 or so wind chill. Um, And we had to skate outdoors in our little leotard, um, you know, our little spandex outfits. And I didn't really come super repaired, so I didn't have a face mask. Oh, and then we get to the rink, and I was the only one, I guess, that had registered in my age group, so the only Masters 30 lady. So they, I said, well, where's my group? And they said, oh, you were the only one, so we eliminated your group, and you're going to skate with the senior girls. I was like, um, how fast are they? Because these are like the kids that are like actually seriously training and they're like 19 to 29. They're not moms typically. And uh, um, yeah. So I said, so like what, what's actually going to happen here? And uh, it was okay. Uh, they just slapped me a couple of times in the 3000, which is seven and a half times or eight times around the oval. Um, but they were really nice as they passed me and, and encouraging. There were four of us in the group, so I came in last in every distance except the 500 where I came in third. So that was really awesome, and I felt very proud of that third-place medal. Like, that was a that was a big deal. 
Yeah, it sounds like it wasn't exactly expected. No, no, I figured, you know, I'll just come in last in every race. It'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, and then you went and surprised yourself. So excellent job. Congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. So let's talk about the entirety of your uh, speed skating career. Uh, how many speed skating competitions do you think you've done over the years? Oh, too many to count. <laughs> Way too many to count. So our season runs from... September through mid-March and starting in October, typically there's at least one competition a weekend. So that's a lot in just a season. My son and I both like to compete. So we both like racing. There's certainly folks on our team that just like to do the sport for exercise and they don't like to race. I have a, a really good friend who like she hates, she's a super great skater, hates competing. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that's okay. And my son has a friend like that as well. So a lot for sure. So that's, you know, however many weeks that is 24 weeks is a season, you know, probably at least 15 competitions in that season. Um, if not more over many years now. So the answer is a lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Without getting out a calculator, the answer is a lot. And the answer is a lot. <laughs> That's a fair answer. Can you take us back to your worst race or worst competitive moment or hardest day on the track? I think, you know, that's a hard question because I think there's one of those in every season. I mean, there's certainly some competitions that, that stand out. My very first competition I have no idea what I was thinking. I had practiced for two weeks. I'd basically done no exercise for years. Um, I practiced once a week and it, it wasn't, we wouldn't really call it an intense practice that I was doing. And I thought, oh, well, short track is sprint. That should be okay. I can do a competition. And uh, then like the night before I looked up what the distances were, I, I was so clueless. And I thought, wait, the first race is the 1500. That's like a mile. Who thinks that a mile is a sprint? Like, this is silly. Also, nobody told me there, like, there was a novice division. I was just like, oh, I'm old. I'm in the master's group. And realized there was this other group that skated fewer laps and were all slow. So I skated <laughs> with these other master's ladies, one of whom had been an alternate for the Olympic team, one had been a North American champion. Well, let's just say that yeah, they lapped us a lot. Yeah. And in that 1,500 meters, which is 13 and a half laps, my now teammate uh, lapped me five times. And so that whole season, uh, I knew that I was getting better if she lapped me fewer times. <laughs> it's nice to have a benchmark like that, you know? Yeah. And now, like, you know, we're pretty close in time. Like, we, we're training partners now, which is, like, the cool thing. So, you know, there's you know, growth is possible. And then I think the other thing that in terms of lows, and it's not really a low, but it's something that psychologically is really hard is that in actually most of my athletic career uh, in, in these individual sports, there's not a lot of girls that do the, do these sports. And so often you find yourself competing against guys. And so it can be really uplifting when you beat a guy. Like, I don't know, that just makes me feel like I've accomplished something because I know that they're bigger and stronger than me. So I feel accomplished when I can do that. 
but you spend a lot of time chasing and that can be really hard when you just know that you're just out class. And so I worked really, really hard to make a qualifying time so I could skate with this group of girls. And when I say girls, I mean girls. These are 12 to 17 year olds. Yeah. Actual girls. This season, I really fluctuated back and forth between skating with them and not skating with them. Um, just because at some point, it's really hard psychologically to know you're going to come in last all the time. Um, you know, I mean, I'm competing against girls who've made junior world teams and Olympians. Like, they're in my grouping. And it's super cool to be in that group with them. But to know that, like, you're at the end of that group and they're going to lap you and they're you're going to come in last. You know, that can be really discouraging and really hard. And there's definitely days where you look, you know, I would leave and I would say to my coach, like, I wasn't embarrassing, right? Like, should I switch out? Should I be in a different group? Like, I feel like I'm embarrassing the club or myself or whatever. Um, so I think that, like, that's a hard thing on the ego. Yeah. What does your coach tell you when you ask these questions? I mean, mostly he says no. I mean, he's, he's a good soundboard and he says, I would tell you if, you know, you're in the wrong place or, I mean, it is funny. Like one of, uh, one of the other coaches, he's the coach for uh, the development program in Milwaukee. And it was sort of the first time he had ever seen me skate. And he said, he said, you know, I, I think you, I think you're in the wrong group. I think you should be in that other group with the master's ladies. He's like, that one would be easier for you. I was like, yeah, but this, like, you know, I mean, I don't belong in that group. And I, you know, it's like I'm in between groups. And, you know, he was understanding of that as well. I mean, mostly I think the coaches, you know, tend to say like, no, really people say like, who is that person? I didn't know we had somebody that was skating in that group. And then they realize it's me. Um, so, you know, that helps, but he's also been super understanding when I say, you know what, I just, I need to skate in a group in which I can feel like I'm a part of the group, um, in terms of racing. So I, I tend to bounce back and forth just because I need both experiences. Like, I think you need, it's good to be pushed or stretched at times, but it's also important to put yourself into situations in which you can feel successful. Does that make sense? Uh, it absolutely makes 100% sense to me, just based on my my competitive experience. You know, it's like I in in my years in roller derby and I now am involved in obstacle racing where it's like you want to put yourself in a position where you're going to be pushed, even if it means you're going to be outclassed. But it's hard to be there all the time. Right. Unless you can actually track that growth, like you mentioned earlier, with the the person who lapped you five times in that first race. But now you can see that you're able to keep pace with her. Right. So if you're not able to see that growth, it's hard to stay there. But at the same time, if you have that competitive drive, you don't want to be out of that completely. Right. Right. So on the other side, let's talk about your favorite competition or what you consider to be your greatest accomplishment in the sport. There are a couple of those as well. I mean, again, you have with every season, you have highs and lows. I mean, for sure, my very first national championship in short track was a huge accomplishment. It was something that, you know, I came in third, I came in second, I came in third. You know, I was like always, but I never got to be that, you know, I was never at that first. And it was a really competitive group. And, you know, I just skated really smart races. It came down to like the last race. And, you know, my, my, my teammate, my training partner was going in, she's in the next older group and she was 
getting on the ice after me. And it was just like, it was just very emotional to know that like I had finally achieved that, you know, that goal to be a national champion. So that was like, you know, just a really, really cool thing uh, to do. And then another friend and, and she's an official, like the national medal is actually was sponsored uh, by her family. So that was really cool as well. And then last year I had, it was more a few years ago, they, the long track metric, you know, again, not my favorite one, but the their qualifying times to skate in a, a national level competition called the American Cup. So this is the athletes in this grouping are, you know, junior uh, national team members, the World Cup members, Olympians, et cetera. So this is like pretty elite level. Um, the number of years ago I had qualified to, to skate in it. Um, and then they changed the qualifying times and they were really, really fast. And then I worked to get the qualifying times for masters that it's something that was more reasonable, although they were still a stretch. Um, I was still three seconds off the qualifying time, I think in the 500, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a huge, like, I don't know. It's a huge amount of time to drop. And last year at the end of the season, the last competition, and made the qualifying cut to skate the American cup this year. And, uh, so that was like, you know, I just thought it was, you know, it was never going to happen. There was just no way I was ever going to hit that time. And, uh, so to get that time and to achieve that standard and be able to compete on the stage with, you know, other athletes that are, you know, really at the top of their game. I mean, I came in last, um, <laughs> but you were there, you got to be there. I was there. And actually there were times that people fell and, I still was slowing. <laughs> oh my goodness. There was one of the girls that skates with my son and she fell in one of the races and I thought, okay, I won't come in last on this one. And then I was like, Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? Like you fell and you were still faster than me. <laughs> um, but I was there and it was good. So, um, I represented the master's ladies. There aren't very many of us that compete. So that was good for yeah, sure. That sounds, that's awesome. And it's so cool that you got to be there. So congratulations for that. Thank you. You're welcome. So uh, as we mentioned earlier, you and your son share this common bond over the sport. Can you talk about what it's like to train and compete with your son? Sure. So, you know, it's really special for sure. Um, and I think we have a relationship that's um, pretty unique in terms that we just spend a lot of time together. Um, it's a little bit of a delicate balance as they start to be teenagers um, where they don't always want their mom hanging around. And, you know, and plus I know all of his friends, right. And I'm like really good friends with all of the girls that I compete with that are his age, that are his teammates as well, because we skate in the same group. Um, so that's kind of weird, I think sometimes. Um, but it's been a really cool experience. And one of the things I think that's really interesting about it is that there's a bit of role reversal that happens. Certainly when he was younger, it was more of a traditional sort of thing, although he was definitely more accomplished as a speed skater than I was when I started. So there's this thing that happens where this kid starts to become the, not the parent, but like the one that knows more. And so like he often will, he's, he's a really good coach and often he will coach me on things and uh, give me feedback and advice. And so it's kind of a cool relationship. It's a very different dynamic than if it was just a, a parent kid relationship, you know, I mean, it's definitely the parent kid stuff that's in there, but that having that sort of 
hey, I've got this advice I can give you, try this and see if it works kind of a thing. It, it creates more of a level playing field, I think, and more of sort of a peer relationship, which is really cool. And it's been super cool to sort of watch him, you know, grow as a person in the sport and, and to see what sport has given him and to know that, you know, it's stuff that I, that I got out of sport as well, but just to sort of witness it firsthand and to, to be such an active participant in it, it's been pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely, it's such a unique thing. And like you mentioned earlier, it's very rare that a parent and a child can compete in the same sport at the same time on the same field or ice like you do. So it's it's a unique and special thing. And it's it's something I've seen in roller derby as well, because we have junior roller derby and they're not competing in the same games, but they're, you know, their practices are right after each other. And so there's a lot of mothers and daughters in the sport and it's a it's a really cool connection that they get to have. Yeah, I have a, I have a, a really good friend whose two daughters, she and her two daughters all do roller derby. Yeah. And it's really fun to see that. Yeah, absolutely. So what types of unique challenges or maybe even conversely benefits do you find that you encounter as an older athlete training and competing at a high level like you do? Um, I think definitely you learn to train smarter early on. You know, I was training, trying to, you know, I was running the program like the 14 year olds were. And I had some issues with my knees and some other stuff. And I went to the doctor and he was like, you know, you can't train like you're 14. I was like, yeah, well, I don't buy that answer. But I think there is some truth to it. I mean, he was more dismissive than I sort of wanted, um, you know, sort of saying, like, what are you trying to do? Like, why are you even trying to do this? This is dumb versus saying, OK, well, how do we how do we work with you to figure out how to make it work? Yeah. Athletes never want to hear that from a doctor. Well, and I think that a lot of doctors say like, oh, well, you're over 40, so you should expect that your stuff, you know, stuff's not going to work right. And, you know, that you just have to live with it. And I'm like, well, I don't buy that answer. You know, there's definitely many athletes who are over 40 and they're quite successful. So let's figure out a way to make this work. Yes. <laughs> um, but I but I think that you learn to train smarter. You know, you, you learn to listen to your body more uh, in terms of, and you're better at listening to it, I think. I mean, certainly as a kid, we run into this with, you know, as a coach, I run into this with my athletes, especially as they're like moving from not, you know, through puberty where like all of a sudden they discover their lactate systems and they're like, wait, it hurts. And you stop. I'm like, yeah. no, no. Keep going. <laughs> Welcome to the real yeah, world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the you know, you're better at listening to your body and you know more what is a good pain and what's a bad pain. It's also really important to, you know, to push the medical profession, you know, when you go to the doctor, you say like something's not right and they say, oh, well, you're over 40. Um, They really like that answer for some reason when you're over 40. They're like, oh, you're over 40. That's what happens. Yeah, Yeah, you're done. Your body stops working. Right. I was like, why did I just gain weight? I haven't done anything different. Oh, you're over 40. Well, no, I don't buy that answer. Yeah. So I had a thyroid condition. That was why I gained weight. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, or I'm really tired. Well, you need to stop doing stuff. Oh, no, I was actually anemic, you know. So it's like I think you're you become a better advocate when you're an athlete at saying like, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but like this really shouldn't be happening. And so we need to we need to talk a little bit more and delve a little deeper into this. And I definitely think that. If you are smart about it and you do listen to your body, um, that you end up reaping benefits. Like you, you, your body then responds and it, 
it doesn't act like a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old body. You know, I think there's research that shows that, you know, you can make your body younger, your muscles and your cells and such younger by continuing to be active, whatever active looks like to you. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I really like your answer about becoming a better advocate. I think that's something that people don't necessarily think about or necessarily say, but it's true. I think there's traditional answers that doctors give or traditional ways that doctors have viewed what our bodies can do at a certain age. And I think more and more people are becoming athletes or just being athletic at a later and later age. So it is kind of challenging the convention. And it and like you said, if you it helps if you understand what your body is able to do, you can be a better advocate for yourself. Yeah. And I think it's even more important for women, because I think that, again, our society um, definitely doesn't view women's women in the same way that they view men in terms of athletics. I mean, it's definitely changed. It's changed over time. It's changed enormously since, since I was a child for sure. And, you know, there's definitely great women models out there in terms of, uh, you know, what does a, what does a good female body look like in terms of being strong and athletic and, and, you know, society is slowly starting to change, but I still think like even, you know, even when I swam, you know, I had issues with a sh my shoulder one time. And I remember the doctor having this, like, lecturing my parents about the fact that my shoulders were overdeveloped. And, you know, and, you know, it's like, well, the guy was six feet tall. My dad's five, six, right? And I was like, so we're just short, broad-shouldered people. It wasn't overdevelopment. It was what my bone structure was. And he just made this assumption, um, you know, like this wasn't normal for a woman to look like this. And I was like, well, this is normal for this person. Um, and I think that, you know, though challenging those stereotypes or misconceptions about what us, what a woman is supposed to look like or what they're supposed to do, you know, is still there. Like, it's, I think women, women face that challenge more than men do in terms even you know, especially even as being an older athlete, like, you know, you're supposed to be a grandma and bake cookies or something. I don't right. know. You're not supposed to be not supposed to be climbing obstacles or yeah. speed skating or. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. And that's <laughs> and that's why personally, I want to talk to women athletes on this podcast, because I think it's important for these stories to be told. And it's important for women who are listening to hear, hear these stories and hear perspectives like yours. Um, because it is challenging an old stereotype that I believe needs to be challenged. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, women can be strong, they can do things, you know, as, the same as men. That's why I like competing against men and beating them. Um, <laughs> Um, but, you know, I just think it's important for us to know that, you know, there's just like with anything, there's, there's many ways to do everything and they're not better or worse. They're just different. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. So what advice would you give to someone who may be around your age and particularly even a woman and has entertained the idea of starting a sport or trying a sport like speed skating, but may find it intimidating or out of her league? I think the first thing I would say is you know, to find a friend to do it with you or, you know, find a group um, for sure. Start, you know, for a group, like I, I know I've had this conversation with my sisters, like, you know, had trouble like, saying like, well, I 
we should really go out and exercise, but you know, how do I get started? And I'm like, you need to find somebody to do it with. You need to, to find a group, find something that you enjoy doing and do it with other people. There are certainly people that like doing things solo, but I think they're the people that, you know, probably need less, less push uh, to stay involved or to get involved. And I would say just, I would do, I would try to find some place that allows you to do things at, at an introductory level. Um, so I know like we do introductory classes. They're three weeks long. I know my friends that have done things like roller derby, you can probably speak to this. Like often there's like a intro night or something like that where yeah. you can go and just try it. Yeah. My league has a whole program for beginners. Yeah. That whole like six yeah. eight week class. Yeah. Or find that I know there's a lot of social, like there's now a lot of social groups that do events where you can go and you can try kayaking or curling or rock climbing or trapeze artist or whatever you know just I think trying something new we always talk about this with kids um, and even in my in my job as an educator um, work with higher education we talk about um, global experiences in terms of getting people outside of their comfort zone and that's when like there's a growth you know you you end up having a aha moment or a growth moment or you know, something new happens if you, when you push yourself outside of your boundaries. And so I think that's really the advice I would say is not to be afraid to try something new. You know, one of even simple things, oftentimes, especially if you're, um, you know, a parent, uh, you're taking your kids to lessons. Oftentimes they have parent lessons as well. Skating lessons. Again, I knew how to skate, but when my kid was taking figure skating lessons, you know, they were like, well, they had adult lessons at the same time okay, well, you know, yeah, I'm there, sure. and, you know, it's like, you know, or even getting involved, you know, in those sports that, you know, again, if you're taking your kids, like I know there's parents that live in our neighborhood and they'll get involved by helping coach um, a team. And so that gets you, you know, running around and playing with the kids or whatever. And it's a good entry. And then I think you just, you know, in terms of, of, the, the next step, you have to be realistic about where you are. Um, you know, certainly you're not going to go and run a marathon, you know, next week if you've never run before. Like, you need to set realistic goals. And, you know, it's a good exercise in applying the things that you do in your everyday life, you know, your job or your home life to, to sport as well, and then vice versa. So I think sport's really helpful in teaching you how to set you know, goals, like what is the next thing I need to do? How do I achieve that? How do I break it down into, into chunks? Um, and then in terms of just exercising, like I'm a huge proponent of like the chunking method. I am awful at like just going and running five miles. Right. So you, like I do the telephone pole run, interval run, <laughs> you know, anything that like breaks it into chunks. Like, okay, well, I would say to the kids when we do, anaerobic threshold workouts and they're like oh my gosh and like you can do anything for a minute like you can probably hold your breath for a minute right yeah so I say like, that all the time about the fact they were doing 30 minutes of it like you only need to get through the next minute you yep. only need to get through the next minute um I think you know a lot of that is really good life lessons too it teaches you coping mechanisms like I can make it through this next meeting. I can make it through this next tantrum. I can, yeah. you know, whatever. Like you, you learn how to 
say, all right, I can survive whatever it is. I can survive it for a minute. Yeah, right. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the entirety of what you might have going on in your life. But to be able to break it down into chunks, like you say, is is so helpful. And it works in sport and it works in life. I totally agree with you with that. Yeah. So do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners before we go today? I mean, I think I really would. It would be, you know, similar to what I just said, which is, you know, have the courage to try something new. And it's that the first step, the hardest. But after that, I think you find rewards in whether it's sport or anything else in like just trying something you've never done before, you know, it allows you to keep growing as a person. I agree with that completely. Like face your fears, try something new. The magic is in the other side of that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I like the way you said that. Yeah. So Melissa, uh, you're the head coach for the Glen Ellen Speed Skating Club in Illinois, right? That's correct. And you train people at all ages, levels, and abilities. We sure do. We have folks from five to 60 plus, I think, in our group. That is awesome. So if someone wanted to learn more about how to train with you and your club, how can they do that? So uh, GlennEllenSpeedSkating.org and um, GlennEllenSpeedSkating is all one word and Ellen is E-L-L-Y-N. And we do uh, intro classes in the summer. They're just two weeks long in the regular season. They're three weeks long. And yeah. It's great fun. So definitely if you're in that area and if you have any thoughts about trying skating and trying speed skating, definitely look them up and check them out. And Melissa will help you out. Absolutely. Awesome. So Melissa, thank you so much for being on the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you and hearing about your growth in the sport of speed skating and your accomplishments as a speed skater and your fantastic advice. So I can't wait to follow what you do next. Well, thanks. It was really fun talking to you as well. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard on this episode is from bensound.com. All right, friends, I have a really big favor to ask. I need your help to get the word out about Seasoned Athlete. How can you do that? It's really easy. Just share. Share it with your friends, your family, your network, or anyone you think might benefit from the stories told by the incredible athletes featured on this show. Send out an email, share on social media, or sing our praises from the mountaintops. The more you talk about seasoned athlete, the more people we can reach, inspire, and motivate through this show. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for your help. And while you're at it, follow us on social, Seasoned Athlete Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And hey, do you know someone who would make a great guest on this show? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com, and tell us all about them. Or if it's you, tell us all about yourself. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you know what? You so can.